Hi, Bruno Jr. here. Our podcast, Busting Addiction and Smiths, is sponsored by SafeHouseRehab.com. SafeHouse believes that traditional treatments fall short of the needs of clients who face the modern problems of addiction. Modern problems need modern solutions. Multiple addictions, multiple relapses, multiple triggers, and cheaper and more powerful street drugs set up unprecedented challenges facing treatment centers. What is needed is a more sophisticated approach, a better way forward. There are three reasons to choose our progressive modern treatment program. One, a more sophisticated intake process. Two, technology proven to enhance recovery. And three, the most robust aftercare program in our sector. To learn more, visit us at safehouserehab.com. Episode 4, Season 8. What do we fear most? Sarah tells a story about suffering through the worst of her son's addiction, yet enduring and finding peace in the end. She speaks for the many who have experienced the same sort of struggle. Quote, While we watch our loved ones struggle with addiction, we are overwhelmed by a sense of desperation. We feel a dwindling sense of hope that everything will be all right. It seems impossible to believe at this point that anything will be all right when so much has already gone wrong. Johnny. Johnny was such a happy kid, such a cheerful boy, a lovely lad who loved his mother and dad and brought home that report card with gold stars on it. We don't know exactly when it was, but somehow around late middle school when Johnny was about 14, we noticed a distinctive inward turn and a rebellious streak started to show. Whereas before he loved all team sports and he would hang out with his teammates, now we notice that he didn't feel like playing anymore, and so he quit. Just like that, no discussion with us as parents. In fact, we found out about Johnny's decision to quit, not from him, but from one of his coaches who called us and asked us why our boy wasn't coming to practice. Was he all right? Didn't talk to his family, didn't feel like playing sports. The grades started a downward slide. Of course, we suspect that he was into drugs, and we suspected marijuana, but we never found any evidence of it in the home. We searched, and we could not find. We made him empty his backpack and nothing. He denied using any drug, and we asked him what had him turn into a sullen, isolating kid with only a, when only a while back he seemed all right. He was the apple of our eye, our golden boy. We never did get a straight answer, but we did begin to feel that he was carrying some sort of resentment. Open Rebellion At about 16 or 17, he began to openly rebel, and it was soon obvious that he had changed profoundly. We tried the tough love approach, imposing penalties such as grounding him for a month if he did things like take the family car without permission. We walked a tightrope between permissiveness and discipline. By now he was getting physically imposing, so it was much more difficult to control him. He, he would just defy us openly. I dare you. It wasn't until he was arrested for possession of heroin that the full extent of the problem was revealed to us. We wondered how long this had been going on. Nicely contrite on the other side of the glass in jail, he contended that the heroin didn't belong to him. Now, how it managed to jump from the other guy's pocket to his was never really explained. Because he was an adult at 18 when charged, he was given the first-time felony offender's sentence of a year's probation with some community service. At this point, we didn't know what to do. Allow him to stay in our home or let him out onto the street. He did manage to get a high school degree, just barely. 
College was out of the question, as he had given up on any legitimate ambition by this point. A turning point or not? We made the decision to have him close to us and let him stay while we tried to get him some help, but he rejected all our efforts. So here we were. Give the kid free room and board and let him come and go as he pleased? That had to end, so we settled on a compromise. He would get a job and pay us room and board, to which we agreed. He then promptly violated the deal anyway. We're not a poor family. We're not a rich family either. After two years of constant argument, argument and worrying, we managed to get him into counseling and treatment at a well-known residential treatment center to the tune of $7,500 a week. Insurance paid for a small part of it, but the majority of it was borne by mom and dad, that is, by us. He lasted three weeks before he begged to come home. Once back, we got him a life coach who suggested intensive outpatient counseling with the goal of cutting ties with his using friends, developing new healthy habits, including abstinence, getting a job, and paying his own way. The thinking went that if all went as planned, he would then go to college and get onto the path of success in life. Pretense disclosed. Little did we know that all the time he was making promises, he was just pretending and going through the motions to appease us and have us support his habit. We only learned much later that he could score heroin and fentanyl very easily by taking a short ride with another junkie to a dope house not that far away. Fear and shame take over. What did we feel all this time, day and night, every waking moment? We felt trapped, not knowing if there were any answers. We felt an extreme sense of confusion as to the causes of our son's addiction. We felt a deep sense of shame, as if we were to blame, as if we had done a horrible job as parents. And we also believed then that our son's addiction was a form of punishment. We started blaming each other, accusing each other of lying, cheating, and stealing. The one emotion that dominated our entire family all this time was fear. What did we fear? We feared the unknown. We feared that our Johnny would overdose and die. We were afraid that we would get arrested, that he would get arrested and get sentenced to a long stretch in prison where God knows what could happen to him. We feared that what other family members were saying behind our back. We feared financial ruin. We feared that our son's addiction would result in HIV. We were afraid that the stress of addiction would result in divorce, for we still fiercely loved each other as husband and wife, and it would break our hearts should this have to happen. We feared that this nightmare we were living would never end. Now, we still watch our loved one struggle with his addiction, but his addiction doesn't own us as it once did. What changed all that? It seemed a miracle that we could one day detach from his disorder and go on to live a joyful life, an idea that we had abandoned years ago. The transformation began one day when a counselor said to us rather bluntly, you know, you don't have to have your son's addiction bring your life to an end. She went on to explain that addiction was a family disease and that my husband and I could detach from our son's disease while still loving our son. Looking back, I could see that we had indeed traded our money, our sanity, and our peace of mind away to his disease. I did not see that we were as powerless over his addiction as he was himself. We were under the illusion all that time that we had an influence over the course of a progressive illness that would only get worse, never better. Looking back, I could see that the time that could have been truly productive had just been thrown away on a lost cause. This was not Johnny's fault. That belonged to the disease itself. 
Today, we stay active in a companion 12-step program called Al-Anon, which teaches us that we have to work on our own spiritual development if we are to grow as caring human beings and to detach from his insanity. We no longer enable our boy. We offer him the hope that comes with joining a 12-step program. It's up to him to do the right thing. Today, he is just getting by, and we still love him and pray for his freedom from the bondage of a terrible addiction. My husband and I are still married and happy again. We are the ones who are free. As we now know, we need not carry another's burden when it's quite enough to carry our own. We are part of the Al-Anon Fellowship to listen to others and to share experience, strength, and hope. We let our higher power do the heavy lifting so that we can travel light. So what did we learn from Sarah's story? We learned that one, no family is immune from the infiltration of addiction into the family through one or more of the children. Two, what appears normal slowly starts to change. Where a child was outgoing, now the child withdraws from healthy, active pursuits and the grades start to fall. Three, discovery of a serious addiction to a powerful drug does little to change things but it can have the parents cast about for answers far and wide, and some of the answers are costly. The one dominant emotion after shame is fear. Fear of the unknown and of harm coming to a child can be all-consuming. Fear permeates the entire family, day and night. Number five, it isn't until a family admits its powerlessness over their child's addiction that they can begin to free themselves from its grip and accept the help that they deserve. Our podcast is sponsored by safehouserehab.com, a modern approach to recovery. To learn more, visit us at safehouserehab.com.